0: It's
1: be seated and I am standing up here simply because this microphone isn't working, not because we're changing things up that much around here. But we will have our confession sequence from the pulpit this morning just because sometimes life is unexpected. Now some of you are aware that part of my summer vacation this year involved adopting a puppy which, like so many things in life, sounds like a really good idea. It has left me questioning my decision-making ability. The reality is this, that this sweet little puppy is still learning what is expected from her in this life. She is still learning what sort of behavior enables her to get along with my other dog, and what sort of behavior results in a timeout. There are more than a few minutes each day when I think to myself, well, this was a terrible idea, or when I think that this dog is driving me crazy, or when I think this dog will never, ever learn. But even at the peak of my frustration, every time I look at her, I love her. And that love means that all of those frustrations and all of her shortcomings don't matter near as much anymore. And the way that I see it, if that's the way I can respond to a puppy, how much more so is that the way that God can respond to us? Trusting in the love of God that is stronger than anything else about us, let us confess with honest hearts. Merciful God, forgive us. You ask us to do justice, but our world is flooded by violence. You ask us to love kindness, but the cries of the mistreated are plentiful. You ask us to walk humbly with you, but we nurture our own best interest. We have not lived our faith to the fullest. Grant us the grace of another day and another chance, we pray. hear these words that are trustworthy and true. Whatever you have done, whatever you have failed to do, whoever you are, whoever you may one day still become, you are welcome, you are accepted, you are forgiven, you are loved forever by the very creator of the world. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can ever change that. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks Thanks be to God. Having been reminded of all that God's love offers to us, let us also remind ourselves of all that God's love asks of us. Someone asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Friends, the good news of that acceptance, the good news of that love that expands far beyond even these walls, it is too good to keep it to ourselves. So please share some sign of Christ's peace with those around you. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank yes. friends it is good to be with you and it's even better that you can hear me now new batteries make all the difference in the world welcome once again to this time of worship we're glad that you are here and we're glad that you're here whether you are a first time visitor or a long time member whatever the case may be we are better because you are with us today our hope is that everyone who comes through those doors is changed in some way by your time here whether you are comforted or challenged or whether you simply need a place to rest or hear music that helps your heart soar to the rafters. Whatever it is that you are seeking, we hope that you will find something of that here. If you haven't already, if you are sitting near the ends of the pews and have access to the maroon pew pad and you can sign your name and pass it on along, as it makes its way back, if if there are those sitting near you whom you don't know, I encourage you to change that before you leave today so that all might feel at home here at Madison Avenue. As you're doing that, a few announcements to draw your attention to. September 8th will be a big day for us as we return to our regular um, scheduling. We'll have two worship services that day, and that will continue um, until next summer, mostly. So join us for worship at either 9 a.m. or 1115. That day, we will also have our blessing of the backpacks. Uh, By request, we've extended that to a blessing of the briefcases as well. Um, So any bag you use to go about your daily business, if you would like to have that blessed, you are welcome to join us. We will do that at both services on the 8th. And then following the 1115 service, we will have a church-wide picnic, ideally in Central Park, near the 72nd Street entrance. Um, If weather spoils those plans, we will picnic in the parish hall, which we did last year and that too was great fun. Um, There are more details in your bulletin. Uh, We do hope to see lots of you that day. There are other uh, pieces of information about our music program and ways that you can participate, either by attending some of our concerts or singing yourself, we encourage all of that. A reminder that our overnight shelter is on hiatus until mid-September and that children's worship is on hiatus until September 8th. For those of you that might not be aware of this, a reminder that um, Reverend Rebecca Heilman will be coordinating our children's ministries. Moving forward, Reverend Beverly Bartlett will be coordinating adult education. I will be leading confirmation with any students that are entering into the 8th or ninth grade who haven't yet been confirmed. If you would like more information about any of those ministries and you aren't yet getting that information, let us know after the service and we will be sure to connect you. Lastly, we do have some baptisms coming up, which is always a joyful thing, so if you or someone you know has been waiting to hear about some baptisms to join in that, or you would like information for future reference, um, let me know, and we will get you that information as well. Sometimes I stand here and I am overwhelmed by the amount of detail that I push out at you during this moment, but the details are the details of our life together as a community. So all of this becomes holy in its own right. But with that in mind, let us now hear words of Holy Scripture.
2: Let us pray. God of many names, you work through us each day. You work through us each day, revealing your light within people we least expect and words we may not want to hear. You work through us each day so that our hearts may be turned and our minds may be opened to your word. And so may that happen today. Amen. Our first reading today comes from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Listen to the word of God. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. It shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Two brave, brave little ones with us today. I am so glad that both of you are here. Well, I'm glad that all three of you are here, but I'm particularly glad right now that the two of you are here. Every time you come to worship, you make us better, so thank you for that. Now, something that I wanted to do during this time is introduce my friend to you. This is Jordan Tarwater. You you can you can see what you think about him and maybe shake his hand at the end of the service if that goes (laughs) all right. But Jordan is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church, just like me and just like Rebecca and just like Beverly. And but his work looks a little bit different. So we are especially glad that he's here with us today. And Since Jordan actually is in our building a few times each week now I thought it might be nice if we got to know a little bit more about him. I did warn him I was going to ask these questions. That just seems nice. Um, But the first things I want you to know is that Jordan is a really nice guy and that Jordan does his very best to follow Jesus every day. So, Jordan, I wonder, when you are not at church, which is only a little bit of time, but when you are not at church, what do you like to do most?
0: Yeah, so I grew up um, in East Tennessee near the mountains, so I always try to get out of the city and do a little hiking. That's a great thing to do.
1: Um, And I'm wondering if there is anything particularly exciting coming up in your life in, say, the next (laughs) two or three months.
0: So, uh, pretty exciting, uh, getting married in the first week of October.
1: I knew that was coming. (laughs) 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 We wish you well on that new adventure. Um, A couple more questions, and then if you have any questions, you can ask him. But if you don't, that's okay, too. But you just let me know. Jordan, I'm wondering if you have a favorite Bible verse.
0: Yeah, Um, so my favorite Bible verse uh, is from the last chapter of Luke. Um, So after the resurrection, Jesus is walking along with two disciples, um, and they don't know who he is. And in the breaking of the bread, they come to realize that they've met Jesus again.
1: It's a good story. It fits particularly well with our congregation, I think, since we break bread at this table every week. Um, This is a very serious question. If you had to choose just one for the rest of your life, ice cream, cake, or pie?
0: (laughs) So, I don't know about you guys, but it's it's ice cream all the way for me.
1: (laughs) Another reason we're friends. What about you if you had to choose? Ice cream, cake, or pie? Ice cream. So the four of us will be eating ice cream for the rest of time. Um, you all do as you see fit. Um, but the, the main question I was hoping that Jordan could share, not only with our younger friends, but with all of us, is that if in just a couple of sentences, which I know is hard, if you could tell us just a little bit about the work you do. Jordan's the director of the Urban Outreach Center, which is a ministry of Yonhus Presbyterian Church. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Absolutely. So um, the Urban Outreach Center helps folks who um, are struggling with a lot of different things. Most of the people we work with um, are experiencing a situation of homelessness. And so we try to be a place where they can feel welcomed and loved and get the resources that they need.
1: We're really grateful for that and we're grateful that we partner with you all in some of that work. Um, Thank you for helping us get to know Jordan a little bit. Did you have any questions you wanna ask him? Okay, if you think of any during the service, you let me know. Okay. It might come back. A question about ice cream. Well, we'll have all sorts of (laughs) ice cream questions after the service. Uh, Well, this is the time when we pray together, but what I've noticed is, especially in the summer, we have a couple of really brave young people, and I ask them to pray with me, and they end up having to repeat this prayer with just a couple of voices, so I am trusting that you, the good people of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, wouldn't mind praying with us, so if you all would join in, and we'll repeat this prayer together. Thank you, God, servant, thank you, God, for your servant Jordan. Thank you for his ministry to those in need. Thank you for, his those in need. Thank you for the way you lead him and help him to listen to you. Help him keep listening to your voice. Help him Help all of us keep listening for your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You all prayed so well. Thank you so much. You can go back to your seat.
2: Our second reading today comes from Hebrew, starting with chapter 11 and leading into chapter 12. Listen to the word of God. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies and peace. And what more should I say, for this time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, or David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness became mighty and war, put foreign armies into flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground, yet all of these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross regarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Friends, let us hear these words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. Listen now for the word of God for you. And Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under to see it completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No I tell you, but rather division. From now on five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is with great honor that I stand in this pulpit today, a pulpit that has been a place of proclamations of messages of social justice from the time of the Reverend Henry Sloan Coffin to our present moment. And it was also a joy to have probably the best introduction I've ever gotten before preaching. (laughs) and for the chance to champion ice cream as the greatest dessert. I bring with me this morning the greetings of the staff and membership of Jan Hus Presbyterian Church, some of whom are with us this morning, and the greetings of nearly 30,000 annual food and housing insecure guests of the Urban Outreach Center. The homeless services nonprofit that began at Jan Hus Church nearly 30 years ago and of which Madison Avenue has been a partner for many of those years. We've been particularly grateful to share your space on Tuesday evenings for the past several months, and for a few more months yet to come, for both worship and our Tuesday community dinner, which serves nearly 150 hungry New Yorkers a healthy meal each week in your parish hall. As we complete renovations on a new church home that will carry the Urban Outreach Center and Yonhus Church, into the next hundred plus years of its history. I'd like to start off this morning with a question. Does anybody here remember that old hymn by Charles Wesley, Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild? Couple of hands. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, it goes. Look upon a little child, pity my simplicity, Suffer me to come to thee." The next verse continues, Put thy hand upon my head. Let me in thy arms be stayed. Let me lean upon thy breast. Lull me, lull me, Lord, to rest. Now, I'm not saying that John Wesley got Jesus wrong in this old song. But it's not exactly the Jesus that we see and hear in this particular text, is it? I began to draft our morning sermon a few months ago when Jenny invited me to be with you all. On that morning, one of the headlines in The Times spoke of the continued policy of family separation on our southern border. Twitter, in the days that followed, echoed children dying in these camps, separated from their parents. In the weeks that followed, the news was littered with more disruption. Murmurs of war, mass shootings, a mounting economic downturn. I read again the words of Jesus from our passage. An explosive Jesus. A Jesus whose words were unsettling in an already unsettling time in our collective life. These words. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. I sat quiet in those words of Jesus, physically, viscerally, mournfully in those words of Jesus, words that a near unrecognizable Jesus and explosive Jesus spoke as an indictment of the harm that was being wielded by the power of the Roman imperial governance in his homeland. Words that Jesus spoke to signal the kind of societal and political and religious reordering that was going to be required to live out the kingdom that he was calling the disciples and the gathered crowds into. Jesus spoke these words in a tumultuous time. He spoke these words to signal the desperate need to shake up the status quo. He spoke these words because the ways that people had been behaving, the way they'd been lulled by force or by helplessness, the complacent ways in the face of injustice that had become the normal way of operating, were no longer acceptable in the coming kingdom of God. And Jesus continues to speak these same words to our own tumultuous times. He signals our need to shake up the status quo. He speaks these words, these harsh words, family against family, to signal the dire need to action, perhaps radical action, and to indict our feelings of helplessness against evils that are carried out in our name and that are continued by our institutions. In our passage this morning, one of the most intimidating bits of texts in the Gospels, Jesus provides a stern rebuke of our times, naming that God demands more of us, that God subverts the kind of violence that is being wielded in our name, that God is fundamentally in the business of reordering the structures of our world that hold people down. In Luke's Gospel here, Jesus seems a world away from the long-sung hymn of our faith, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's angry. He's uncouth. There's not a filter of politeness, of decency to mask his intentions here. This message is not a message that goes down easily. This is one of those texts that... When it comes around in the lectionary, many preachers will find it a perfectly good week to look to whatever the epistle might have to offer. Or perhaps the psalm offers a wonderfully delightful message for those who will gather on an August Sunday morning. Who wants to talk about Jesus, predicting that to really follow him, it might set you against the people that you love? Who wants to face their Savior naming them as a hypocrite? Who wants to imagine that the response, that God's opinion, might be not gentle or mild? I don't. If you ask me, we already have plenty of disruption and anger and hate that fills the news cycle seemingly every day. And yet it is what we have from the Gospels this morning. Jesus in a tumult, neither meek nor mild, angry to the point of making us uncomfortable. A Jesus who is not afraid to call things like he sees them. Perhaps that was because he was slowly and intentionally making his way to his death. And he knew he had already told the disciples, who still hadn't quite understood it yet, that his death would not be one of old age or peaceful circumstance. Rather, he was going to be killed because Jesus, as the Christ, as God's love lived out among the poor on the margins of an empire, was a threat to the powers that be, both national and religious, a prophet and a preacher whose words often comforted those who were afflicted and afflicted those who were comfortable. The problem Jesus had, and the problem that we so often have today, was that the comfortable ones his words and actions so often afflicted were the ones holding all the power. That often we ourselves are the comfortable ones so afflicted by the truth that Jesus speaks. Here's how another preacher puts it. What is good news to some people sounds like judgment to others. Because Jesus' gospel challenges and critiques power and wealth and religious rules and tradition. So Jesus continues on. His path turned toward Jerusalem, and Jesus knew full well that some of the people at the end of that journey, particularly as he reached the center of Roman imperial power in the region, would do whatever it took to resist his message, to prevent the people from gathering behind this Jesus movement ideology. Jesus was becoming increasingly aware that the powers that be would not hesitate to kill the messenger. At this particular point along his journey, making a push toward Jerusalem, it is not surprising that Jesus' tone was booming. He had to make sure that the disciples understood this one point. It was crucial. Jesus wasn't simply lashing out, because as we know, the disciples have a hard time getting simple, crucial points. But because they weren't even fully seeing that this challenging of the status quo had been happening all along. The restructuring of the way things are that Jesus intimates had begun years before. Can't I first go back home to bury my father before I follow you? A potential disciple asks him. Let the dead bury the dead, Jesus says. When Jesus yelled to those first Galilean fishermen on their boats, follow me, and from now on you will be fishers of people, they literally dropped everything, their nets, their homes, and followed. That certainly created a division in their families. We all remember Jesus as a boy, not even yet 13, lingering behind with the leaders in the temple freaking out his parents when they realized that he was not just hanging around behind them with the other kids. When Mary asks him, as I think any parents in this audience would relate to, a little relieved, maybe a little annoyed, why have you been so reckless? Why did he do something so seemingly irresponsible? The young Jesus echoes his later words from our own passage, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house?" Even in the earliest stories we have of Jesus, he's already beginning to outline this reordering of what constitutes family, of what constitutes the status quo. But even if you as a disciple were able to keep those family relationships intact, When you became a follower of Jesus, whether you anticipated it or not, you were immediately thrust into conflict with the powers that be. Following Jesus required you to interrogate questions of love of both neighbor and enemy, about generosity and forgiveness, about justice and mercy, about law and truth. And when you were asking those kinds of questions, it forced you to start asking questions about the way the economic and political systems had been structured, which forced you to question why some folks had so much, but others had so little. As much as being a disciple of Jesus was not a choice that your mom and dad might understand, it was also not a choice that the powerful and politically connected would understand either. I'm reminded of a story that I once heard about Will Willimon, a prolific preacher, a Methodist bishop, and for many years, the chaplain of Duke University. He got a phone call from a dad of a graduating student. The father called Willimon's office and screamed over the phone, I hold you personally responsible for this, Will. The father was angry because his otherwise career-bound child had decided in the dad's view to, quote, throw it all away and go do mission work in some foreign country with the Presbyterian church. Isn't that absurd? The father yelled. She has a degree from Duke University and she is going off to dig ditches. I hold you responsible for this. Willimon paused. And then he asked this irate father why me you're the one who filled her head with all this religious stuff the father yelled Willimon paused again sir weren't you the one that had her baptized well well yes the father murmured and and you who took her to Sunday school well "'Well, yes. And you who center on those youth group service projects to the soup kitchen? "'Yes, and what the heck does that have to do with anything?' replied the father, increasingly irate. "'Sir,' Willimon concluded, "'you are the reason she is throwing it all the way. "'You introduced her to Jesus, not me.' "'But,' hesitated the father." All we wanted was a Presbyterian. <laughs> Willemond replied, I'm sorry, sir. You messed up. You've gone and made a disciple. Willemond's experience with that father does highlight a serious tension. A truth that Jesus lifted up with his anger that day. Sometimes the way that we can most authentically follow Jesus is by throwing away the expectations that have been made for us or the limits that we place on our own ability to love. This student was saying no to her father's conception of what following Jesus meant. Her family felt like she was leaving them behind But what she was trying to do was experience God alive in what most have felt to her like a clear call to action in love. Discipleship can sometimes be a painful truth to understand. I'm reminded in all of this of the sacrament of baptism. And bear with me now if that seems like a leap. Jesus' words for us this morning of fire and division, words of tumult seem far away from our lived experience of a gathered family presenting a baby to a congregation asking that they help raise that child in the faith of Jesus. Jesus' words in our passage, I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I am under to see it completed, possess what feels like a different kind of urgency a more fundamental rocking of our debts than we have grown used to. The truth is that we don't often think about our baptism following a line where Jesus says, I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. What we would do well to reclaim. As Jesus tries so forcefully to make his point here, To the disciples and to us is that our baptisms mark a fundamental break with the reality that we knew before. Our baptism is a sign and acknowledgement of a deep truth. You don't ultimately belong to your parents. You don't ultimately belong to your children. You don't ultimately belong to your partner or spouse. You don't ultimately belong to your genetic or chosen family tree. Instead, in your baptism, you and the community of faith around you name the reality that you ultimately and only belong to God. I think it was this realization that Jesus was attempting to get through to the disciples as they journeyed toward their last days together. That the disruption of the status quo that God was carrying out, this new family that God was gathering together in Jesus, sustained by the Spirit, the very disruptive truth of the kingdom, was the center of the message all along. What we're hearing in these fiery words from Jesus, an understanding that was beginning to form for him even in his teenage years, was that God had created a much wider circle of what family means than our narrow definition. With Jesus' words neither meek nor mild, he hoped to shock us into expanding our circles of love wider and wider. Because our baptism not only claims and seals us as God's own, but calls us into the life and work of the whole family of those who gather in God's name, not simply the families into which we were born. And maybe, perhaps often, and especially after long committee meetings, not even the family we would necessarily choose. No. What is announced at the moment of your baptism is that God in Christ has given you a new family, a coalition of humans across generations, a family bound by the call of Jesus on their lives. Jesus knew this truth would not be an easy one, but it would be a liberative one. The truth was what caused him to be so lamenting that day. That same tension should exist for all those who try and follow Jesus that truth can't be made more palatable. It's not meek. It's not mild. But it's exactly what this radical disruption in our understanding, this redefining of to whom we belong, this massive expansion of those we were called to name as family, that sends us off on Jesus' true calling for our lives. Because when we learn to love in the expansive way that Jesus does, not bound by our feelings of hopelessness at the chaos of our world, or contained by the limits that the status quo circumscribes on who or how or when we are able to love. We are able to view, perhaps for the first time in a while, the full family of God that marks this journey toward justice and peace alongside us. Amen.
2: and join me in our affirmation of faith as it's printed in your bulletin. And so we say together, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from the light, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn to God in prayer. Loving God, in the clutter and litter of our world, somehow you clear a space where we can be planted, grounded when chaos reigns. Somehow in the midst of the storms, you help us grow roots to stand firm to face the blows. And even when we crumble or faint, when we can't take it, you are there to catch and cradle our hearts. It's your presence that brings comfort, your justice which brings hope, your love that brings peace. And so we look for all these things. We look for you to break up the hard ground of our hearts so that grace may be planted, to clear the stones so that acceptance may be planted, to dig into our souls so that love may be planted. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And so with the seed planted, we follow you, towards the waters of our baptism, so that we may grow into those vows day by day to live a life of faith. It is in our baptismal vows that connects us with God's call to justice and righteousness, rolling down like a mighty stream. It is in the waters of our baptism that you not only open our hearts, but also our doors to those on the margins. It is in the water that we live into our baptismal vows and be an example to our children so that they know how to worship you. You lead us to water so that we may seek change and reconciliation in the world and always know that you claim us as your own. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And so it is with our nurtured hearts that we turn to your world. To those who live with the routine of warfare, to those who know what it's like to be blocked by walls, to those who are seeking peace and change from their government, to those who are doing good and holy work within this city, such as the Urban Outreach Center, as it continues to emerge into wholeness, and to those who are lacking food, water, and shelter, especially our partners in Zimbabwe who are suffering from a drought, famine, and economic turmoil. We turn our nurtured hearts to those we know who are hurting, those who are wandering, or those who need rest. We especially pray for the families of Debbie Kirkham and John Trout, who are engulfed in grief. And all those who are hospitalized, recovering from surgery, or in rehab, such as Maggie Mills, Martha Roby Stevens, Rose Dotson, Louis Rodriguez, Mary Fabacevsky, Dan Brine, and Francoise Lacombe. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. In response to God's love, let us offer our gifts to the church of the world.
1: Plenty of times when we may feel or actually be completely divided, but here at this table we are all brought back together again. That's why for generations upon generations people have come from north and south and east and west and joined together at this table. This table is where we remember the story that gives meaning to our lives. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more. Come to this table, you who know what it is to run, to walk, and to fly. And come to this table, you who know what it is to stumble. Come to this table, you who understand our rituals and traditions. And come to this table, you who still find it a bit unusual. Come to this table, you who hunger and thirst for a better life and a fairer world. Come, you who are simply seeking a place to rest. You will find all of that and endless more here at this table. And this table belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the one who invites you, which means this meal will not be the same without you. So come.
0: Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Praise to you, O God, for all your wonders. You created the world and called it good and made us in your image to live together in love. You made a covenant with us, and even when we forgot you and turned away from you, you remained ever faithful. Therefore, we join our voices together with all creation, forever singing to your holy name. Thank you, O God, for sending us your Son, Jesus. He lived among us and told your story. He healed the sick and welcomed sinners. He shared our pain and died our death, then rose again on that resurrection day, ensuring that we would know life everlasting and ensuring that every bit of creation would know redemption. Remembering your boundless love revealed to us in Jesus Christ, we share this bread and this cup giving ourselves to you in order to live for him. And so we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of this table, that they may be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may share his goodness and glory with the world. By your Spirit, unite us with Christ and one another until we feast with him and all your saints until your promised day. Trusting in you to do all this and even more, we pray the words Jesus taught us Our Father,
3: who, who art, art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name.
0: Thy, thy kingdom come,
3: thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread,
0: and forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, and lead us us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
1: Amen. So friends, remember with me the story of how on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gathered his friends around him, and that included the friend who would go on to betray him. He gathered them all together, and he took bread, and he gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it. He broke it, and he shared it with them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, and it is given for you. And he said, Do this in remembrance of me.
0: And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin, so that each time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. Friends, the bread of life and the cup of salvation.
1: These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast. Let us pray. God of abundance, with this bread and this cup, you have united us with Christ, and you have united us with one another. Send us forth in the power of your Spirit that we might proclaim your redeeming love to the world and continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Lord.
0: as you go out into this city, know that God's definition of love is even greater and more expansive than we can even imagine. And as you go out, may you go in the love of our God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forevermore. Amen.